Almighty God, we come before you. You are the only one to whom we can come. We give you praise. We honor you. And as we come before your word, we ask that you would come, that you would be among us. Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins. Lord, that you would remove from us those things that would distract us from your word. Give us thoughts and emotions that are in line with what will be preached today. And then prepare our hearts as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Give us, Lord Jesus, many blessings so that we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the beliefs that we hold close to our hearts here at Grace is that we believe in what's called the clarity of Scripture. We believe that Scripture can be understood by anyone who wishes to understand it and is willing to humble themselves before the God of the Bible. Now, there are, of course, many reasons why we hold this, but the most basic, the most fundamental reason why we hold to the clarity of Scripture is that God wants you to understand His Word. And if God wants you to understand His Word, if you come wanting to understand it, of course He will enable you to. We, Christians are supernaturalists. We believe in a God who is active in his world and he is active in the hearts of those who assemble to worship him. Now, there are less than clear passages in the Bible. There are passages of Scripture that for one reason or another are difficult to understand. Again, there are several reasons for this. One is that there are a lot of cultural differences between 21st century U.S. and the cultures in which the Bible was written. When was the last time you rode a donkey to work? Sometimes the Bible seems opaque because we aren't simply familiar enough with God and His Word to understand a given passage. For example, if you don't understand the Old Testament, you're going to have a difficult time understanding Romans. There are some passages in the Bible that are difficult because God wants to force you to your knees in humility before him and ask him to clarify it to you, to go to him about passages that will completely elude you while you are running from God. John chapter 6 is my favorite example of that kind of passage. But then almost always, passages in the Bible are difficult because we're looking at one verse alone or a couple of verses alone and we're forgetting about the context around it. And today, we are going to look at just one sort of passage. In John chapter 20, verse 23, Jesus says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, that's a serious problem. 
Is Jesus saying that you can condemn someone to hell by withholding God's forgiveness from them? Now, let me lay down my cards quickly on this one and quote the Apostle Paul. May it never be. Of course you can't be in charge of someone's eternity. Then what does it mean? That is what we're going to answer today. Pastor Benji has once again allowed me to take the Thanksgiving Sunday sermon to preach about communion, to preach about what we do here at the Lord's table and how it impacts us as a church and us as individuals. And this morning, I want to help you and I to avoid dying as a consequence of taking the Lord's Supper wrongly. Does that shock you? Have you ever considered the possibility that you might, in fact, die as a consequence of taking the Lord's Supper wrongly? Well, Paul believed it was possible. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Serious words for preparing to take the bread and the cup. If you take communion wrongly, you might die. And I want to help us to avoid that faith. And I believe that as a consequence of today's sermon, the application of our passage today is confession precedes communion. I get this from John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came in and stood among them. Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now looking at these verses, there are three essential elements that we need to clarify. We need to not only understand the words of here of John 23, but we need to also understand how we can celebrate this morning rightly at the Lord's table and how you can celebrate at the Thanksgiving table rightly on Thursday. The first and main point we need to take from this passage is that the objective, the goal is peace. Twice Jesus declared, peace be with you. Whatever else you get from this passage, I want you to understand Jesus wants you, yes, you, to experience peace. 
Second thing, the person who is doing this work of imparting peace to our crazy lives is the Holy Spirit. Jesus clearly wants his followers to experience the power of the Holy Spirit to make this peace possible. And he works to bring peace within our hearts, the one who trusts the promises of God, and through us to bring peace to those who are around us. And thirdly, the means, the tool, the instrument of bringing this peace in my heart and in the hearts of those who are around me is confession. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves in the believer's heart to find communion. A local church where he or she can find real people really living in the real world who are seeking to walk in the Spirit. The Spirit then moves the believer's heart to confess to the appropriate person so he or she can find real forgiveness instead of just therapy. The Spirit uses this confession forgiveness to bring peace not only to the one confessing his sins, but then by extension to the whole communion, the whole local church gathered in worship of the Lord. The Spirit uses this peace, this Christ, one, Spirit-empowered peace to change the world. I wonder if you are lacking that world-changing peace in your heart. Perhaps it's because you are lacking in the communion-enabling Confession. Confession precedes communion. A little bit of history. When we come to our passage in John chapter 20, already the Last Supper has been followed by the crucifixion. And the crucifixion then was followed by Jesus' resurrection. And now Jesus here is speaking to his own followers, his best friends in the universe on the greatest day in history. This is the evening of Easter Sunday. And as I said, Jesus' most important goal in the evening of Easter Sunday is to give peace to his friends and then peace through his friends. And he does this by breathing the Spirit on them and by giving them a considerable power. Don't mistake the importance of verse 23. He is giving them the power of forgiving sins and of withholding that forgiveness. Now make no mistake, Jesus won forgiveness for all who would trust him just days before this. And only hours before this evening, he proved to the world that everything he did and everything he said had God the Father's amen. And he did this by rising from the impotent grave. Jesus here in verse 23 is not abdicating his hard-won authority. Instead, he is delegating that 
authority to us as His ambassadors. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This verse then is not merely permission. This verse instead is commission. It is instruction. It is obligation for you and me to spread this message of the forgiveness of sins. You can tell everyone you meet, God is willing to forgive your sins. Are you interested? And we'll find that confession precedes communion. How do I get there? Let's start in verse 21. And we'll find our first point is pursue peace. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Peace. True peace. My friends, perhaps peace like you have never felt before. Perhaps this peace is still unknown to you, but peace that goes to your heart, it goes to your mind and then extends to all of you. Peace in your daily life is Christ's goal. Because only four days before this evening, Jesus told this exact same group of people, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Instead, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What does the world give? The world gives entertainment. And you can kill your brain cells by flicking a button. Or you can kill your liver cells by drinking another glass of quote-unquote peace. That's what the world gives. But Christ's way is telling you, you will not find peace by hiding your sins. You will not find peace by running away from those nearest you, your wife, your coworkers, your boss, your children. You will not find peace by building walls that nobody can get through. You will only find peace by turning to Jesus and to those who walk with him, with you. And my friends, this isn't just about making you feel comfortable. Because Jesus is deadly serious about you pursuing peace. Listen, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, don't miss this, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You want to see the Lord? Strive for peace. It's because you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your pursuit of peace with your neighbor. And peace comes when we confess. Because confession precedes communion. Now, I'm building a case. I haven't started applying it yet. I'm building a case. I want you to hold in your minds for a moment Pursue peace. And then this next point is going to be walk in the Spirit. Verse 22. And when he had said this, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, Receive 
the Spirit. Now, normally, we look to Acts chapter 2 as the time when the Spirit came and filled his disciples. And that's, there's good reason for that. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pentecost not Easter Sunday, was the birth of the church. And we need to understand that. But evidently, Jesus thought it important on Easter Sunday to give the Holy Spirit and do so in a way that will tie two very important truths together. Peace, be with you, and sister, you are forgiven. And he does this by tying the Holy Spirit in with this idea of receiving peace and forgiving. Now evidently, Jesus found these two purposes vital, absolutely essential to his mission on the earth on which he sent his followers, the apostles, and you and me in the 21st century. Jesus wanted to give notice that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you to spread peace and the spoken promise of forgiveness. Do you ever feel like you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do you ever feel, Lord, God, I wish I could just experience more of you? Ha! That's a piece of cake. Easy. Go around spreading peace. And you will find the Holy Spirit working through you. Go around forgiving as you have been forgiven. You will find the Spirit working in you. Now, I almost need not mention the fact that without the words of forgiveness, there is no peace. There is no peace for the believer who stubbornly refuses to confess to your wife I am sorry please forgive me to your child I was wrong please forgive me to your bitter co-worker please forgive me Instructively, in a different context, one which is specifically describing what walking in the Spirit looks like, Paul describes the importance of using our words in such a way that will not grieve the Holy Spirit. He says in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace... To those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Christian, your words will bring peace or they will break it. 
Trust the Spirit to give you words you need to spread peace. First of all, by preaching the good news for yourself. Self, you are forgiven. Trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. And to preach the good news to those who are around you. All your sins can be forgiven by trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. Are you interested? Now, again, I'm building a case. I'm aiming at an application that will tie all of this together that will help us achieve communion or fellowship with one another. When we celebrate at the Lord's table, we call it communion because it reflects, it celebrates the communion that we share the rest of the month. (laughs) Likewise, however, our communion the rest of the month either will add or detract from our celebration at the Lord's table because there is no one in this room that is without sin. Therefore, confession precedes communion. So first point, pursue peace. Second point, walk in the Spirit. Third point, forgive as you have been forgiven. Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. First, let me clarify what this verse means. Jesus, in this passage, gives us the Holy Spirit so that you and I may have peace. And along with this, he gives us marching orders. He tells us where to go and how to do it. The apostles and the church that comes behind him, namely us, have the job of an ambassador. We are advocating for another ruler. God is willing to forgive your sins. Are you interested? Declare that message and you will, with a straight face and full sincerity, be able to say, your sins are forgiven to those who trust the promises of God. You will also, with sadness and sorrow and wonder, say to those who do not wish to receive the gift of salvation, Your sins are not forgiven. Your job and mine is to be the messenger, to be the mouthpiece that says their sins are forgiven or that their sin forgiveness is withheld, not on the basis of my authority, but on the basis of God's word. So, what does that mean for us? Well, my first point is you are a sinner. If you have trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, if you are, in fact, a Christian, guess what? We're still sinners. So get over it. You and I need to go to the one who can pronounce you are forgiven because you've trusted those promises. You and I need to obviously go to the Lord, but we also need to go to someone who is near us so they can pronounce you are forgiven. So how do I do this? I have a friend, and uh, this friend and I meet. We meet about every other week. Sometimes we'll meet every week. 
But we meet about every other week, and we are helping each other to achieve certain goals in our walk with the Lord. And my friend came up with this funny little thing, and he gave me this cheap little plastic king piece from a chessboard that is now not complete. I don't know what he's going to do if he wants to find someone to play chess with, maybe put a quarter down or something. But this king piece isn't just a little piece of plastic, it's a representation. I have made a promise to a brother, and this brother I can go and be honest with on struggles that I am having. And when I fail, I give it back to him. And then when he fails, he gives it back to me. And so you see where it's at. Never mind. (laughs) Praise Jesus. You know what? This is someone I can trust. I have found a man that I can trust and I can be real with and he can be real with me. And I can pronounce over him, brother, you are forgiven. And he can do the same. Don't be alone in your sin. Don't be alone in your sin. You might have missed that. Don't be alone in your sin. Before you come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, go to your brother or sister and claim your birthright of forgiveness. At this point, let me relate the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, when Christ said this, John 20, 23, Christ made the church and in it our brother a blessing to us. Now our brother stands in Christ's Stead, before him I no longer need dissemble. That means to conceal my true motives. Before him alone in the world, whole world, I dare to be the sinner that I am. Here, the truth of Jesus Christ and his mercy rules. Christ became our brother in order to help us. And through him, our brother has become Christ for us in the power and authority of the commission Christ has given to him. And what is that commission? Peace be to you. Your sins are forgiven in Christ's name. And Christ does this namely by sending the Holy Spirit to work in me to pronounce forgiveness over those who have already trusted the promises of God for them in Christ. Have you ever struggled to find peace because of some secret sin that you are unwilling to let anybody know about? That you have not intentionally sought a godly man or woman near you to confess? Satan loves darkness. Satan loves when you dissemble with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, Jesus came to make peace be with you possible. Remember, Jesus breathed out the Spirit to make peace be with you actual. And remember, Jesus gives you and me the duty, the responsibility, the role of pronouncing and thus making peace be with you experienced. 
And this obligation is not merely to the outside world, but it is to bless those of us who are within the household of faith, to the brother or sister who is sitting right next to you. The good news of Jesus Christ is that all your sins can be forgiven. This is an objective fact. It is something that is true whether or not you feel forgiven. The good news of Jesus Christ is that your sins are forgiven. This is also a subjective fact. This forgiveness is something you can experience. And we are told very clearly how we go about experiencing this. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. At the very minimum, without preaching this passage, we can say that the powerful prayer is for you to experience God's peace and forgiveness. Peace be to you. Your sins are forgiven in Christ's name. Confession always precedes communion. Here is where all this about confession ties directly into what we are doing today. In just a few minutes, when we celebrate at the Lord's table, I want you to remember these words. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, his own or her own sins, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. Paul believes that some believers in Corinth died because they had sinned against each other and then ate the Lord's Supper, don't miss this, intentionally disregarding the Lord's command to live in community and peace and therefore making a farce out of this table. Don't trifle with God. If you are unable to take communion at the Lord's table today with a clear conscience, I beg you, honestly, please hear me. If you cannot take the Lord's Supper with a clear conscience, don't take it. Let it pass. Or better than that, stand up where you are right now and go make it right. Please forgive me to whomever it is who needs to hear that. And as you're confessing, remember two things. The first is, if you sin publicly, you need to confess publicly. And if you sin privately, you just need to confess privately. But number two, what if your sin isn't against anyone in particular? The first thing you need to do is remember that no sin is private. Every sin changes you. Every time you sin, you are telling yourself that God isn't serious about your sin. And lying to yourself is deadly. Don't trifle 
with God. And here's where James' instruction comes in. You need to find a godly man if you are a man or a godly woman if you are a woman so that you can tell them your sin, so that you can experience that forgiveness. And Bonhoeffer believes that a lack of trust in the promise found in James and a lack of taking seriously Jesus' specific instruction in our passage leads to much of the weakness in our church. And is this not the reason, perhaps, for our countless relapses and the feebleness of our Christian obedience to be found precisely in the fact that we are living on self-forgiveness and not a real forgiveness because we have confessed? Self-forgiveness can never lead to a breach with sin. This can be accomplished only by the judging and pardoning of God, the Word of God Himself. I'm about to pray, and the guys are going to come up, and we're going to prepare to take communion. This is a serious time, and I cannot emphasize it too much. Take a moment right now and commune with the Spirit and ask Him to show you to whom you need to confess so that you can have that peace in your soul as you celebrate at the table. Let me pray for us. God Almighty, we are about to come again before you and take at the table that you have given so that we can experience and celebrate communion. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself that we would take seriously that which you have given us so that we might experience your peace. Bless us, Jesus, now as we seek to be blessed.